Hello and welcome to Threadbare, the Fountaining Podcast. I'm G.K. Rauf. We are here to talk about the Nicobar Project, which is uh, sited on the island of Great Nicobar. That is the southernmost in the Andaman and Nicobar Islands. It's a massive project of 72,000 crore rupees, which uh, revolves around a container port. Then there's an international airport, a township with residential, industrial and commercial zones, and a power plant to service all the three. Fountain Inc. in a two-part podcast will be looking at the project in terms of its potential to transform the economy as well as the environmental cost that it might levy. In the first part on environment, we talked to Dr. Pankaj Sheikh Sarya, Associate Professor at the Center for Technology Alternatives to Rural Areas at IIT Bombay. He has been researching the Andaman and Nicobar Islands for over two decades. Dr. Shekhsarya, welcome to Threadman. So this is uh, a very big project for the Modi government, but your online platform calls it a monumental folly. So what's the perspective here from your side? So Gopal, there are three or four axes on which we can look at this project where we feel there is a deep concern on what the impact of this project will be. And if I might put them out kind of as a starting point on the ecological concern, the geological aspect of it, the sociocultural aspect of it, and also the economic aspect of it. So whichever way we look at this project, uh, it seems to me that, uh, and a lot of us, not just me, that this is not viable in many ways and it's going to be extremely destructive. We are talking of a island uh, which is a pristine island with a very small population at the moment. It is thickly covered in forest, pristine evergreen forest, uh, unique biodiversity, a large number of rare and endemic species. It is home to two indigenous communities that have been here for thousands of years. This is a very geological, very volatile zone. This is seismic zone 5 with uh, regular earthquakes. Earthquakes have been happening uh, almost every week uh, in this island chain. And then also the larger question of uh, what is the economic viability of this port? So from multiple axes on multiple registers, it is clear that this port is actually a huge folly and a great uh, disaster if it comes through. The port is at the heart of the project, but uh, all put together, So, for instance, if I'll just give you two examples on the environmental and ecological concerns, the project authorities and the government itself has said that nearly a million trees are to be cut for, uh, you know, you mentioned the township and the other project components. A million trees are to be cut uh, officially for this project to be implemented over the next 30 years. And uh, we know the kind of situation and the time that we are in of this huge climate crisis that just around the corner, if it's not already with us. So on the one hand, we are talking of reforestation of of the carbon uh, deficit and stuff like that. And on the other hand, we go ahead and are officially and willingly uh, giving an approval to cutting down a forest of 130 square kilometers and a million trees at the minimum, maybe more. At the same time, uh, where the port is going to come up is a nesting site, a nesting beach of the largest sea turtle uh, on planet Earth, the giant leatherback. There's enough evidence to show that 
the beach in Galatia Bay, where the port will come up, is one of the most important nesting sites of this creature, which has been uh, on planet Earth since the time of the dinosaurs. And uh, they want to construct a port in that place. It is. It was listed in India's National Marine Turtle Action Plan as one of the most important turtle nesting sites in the country. And we are going ahead and destroying that completely. So uh, these are just two examples. And uh, I mean, there's a lot more that we can discuss. Now, you're talking about a small island cover and it's covered with primary forest. But there's a second one. Uh, it's called Little Andaman and it's in the Andaman group. So cumulatively, there 240 square kilometers of the total area of 675 square kilometers is to be opened up. Greater Nicobar, it is 166 square kilometers, they say. And uh, that, if you look at it in terms of percentages, 30% for Little Andaman and 18% for Great Nicobar. And uh, in a, such a small area, is that going to impact the entire island or uh, can it be actually confined to those spaces that are going to be opened up? So two quick points there, Gopal. So these are two different projects like you mentioned. What's happened with the Little Andaman project is that about two years ago when we started following these things, the whole thing started with proposals for great for uh, Little Andaman. But over the last two years, there has been absolutely no talk about that particular island and the projects on that island. So we don't know. It is on the back burner, it seems to be. The proposals there also are quite horrendous, if I might use that word. I've written about it. But like I said, also for the last two years, there's not seen we've not seen much development on that particular aspect. What's happened in the last two years is that the pedal has been pushed, the accelerator has been pushed on the Great Nicobar project. And for more than two years now, the entire uh, ground has been laid, as it were, in terms of the paperwork, the clearances, and that's really gone very, very ahead. So, uh, very quickly ahead. So, in October and November of last year, the forest clearance and the environmental clearance were granted by the Ministry of Environment and Forest. So, the larger concern at the moment is with Great Nicobar because they're really pushing that really strongly. And there, there's a lot of problems in the way the environment clearance have been granted, in way the environment impact assessment has been done, in what has been included, what has been excluded. The EI report is a farce of a scientific document. There is plagiarized content. There is inconsistent uh, content. There is incorrect content in that report. And why I'm saying that in the case of Great Nicobar is because all of this has happened where Great Nicobar is concerned. None of this has even started for Little Andaman. So maybe it is coming up, but for now we are looking at Great Nicobar. Where the individual areas are concerned, you know, 20% or 18, 20% in the case of Great Nicobar is not a small area where a particular island is concerned. Now the government has said this is only 18% of this island, this is only 1.2% of the Andaman and Nicobar Islands, but that is not the logic you can apply because it is it is unique for itself. So because it's like saying, you know, Bombay has uh, a, a national park, Sanjay Gandhi National Park of 120 square kilometers. Now what is a 120 square kilometer park in the area of Mumbai? We just cut down that forest. It is not just about area, right? It's also about what that area harbors, uh, the forest that it has, the environmental services that it provides, the wildlife that it supports, the ecosystem services that it provides. So I think these numbers are just deflecting and not actually getting to the heart of the matter. So I think it's an absolutely irrelevant argument to say that it's only so many percentage of the island area or something of that kind. What's more important is what is in that particular island. 
And like I said, we have some of the finest rainforests. Uh, we have creatures that are not found anywhere else on the planet, leave alone uh, the country. So what would it mean to destroy a forest with a creature that's not found anywhere else? What, what happens to that uniqueness of that place? So that's something that's very important to keep in mind. The thing about Great Nicobar is it's uh, quite an isolated part of India. It's uh, almost like ecosystem by itself. So in the context of uh, the entire country, when you're talking about ecosystem services, what is the, the impact of these ecosystem services, even on an island chain like the Andaman and Nicobar Islands? One, like I said, is the uniqueness of that place. I mean, there is a, a tropical evergreen forest, which is itself uh, restricted to certain regions of the planet because of the conditions in which they grow. They're not very uh, common, say, in, in, in some parts of India, we do find them, but otherwise they're not, they're not very common. And because of that, they support creatures and, and biological diversity that is very, very unique. Uh, and... This is a this is a living heritage that has come to us as an inheritance, if I can put it that way, from thousands and thousands of years of evolution. So the the uniqueness, the value of that at one level is that. Other, if you go into a very you know economic and a mathematical kind of calculation, which I think is not the best thing to do, but even then, you know, nine hundred square kilometers of tropical evergreen forest today. Uh, one can only imagine the amount of carbon it is sequestrating. So when we are talking of, like I said in the beginning, planting forests to deal with the climate change crisis, you have a standing forest here that you want to destroy. Uh, so it is destroying an asset that you already have with you. Uh, and uh, also, how do you value at the end of the day some of these absolutely unique and absolutely invaluable kind of resources? Uh, this is home to an indigenous community of 250 people that has the uh, highest protection under the Indian constitution, a community called the Shompen. They need that forest because they are hunter-gatherer communities. They, they roam around the forest to gather their resources. They will be completely sidelined. Their resource base will be completely destroyed if this project comes up. So, uh, it's not just also about what economic value we get out of that in terms of, eco in terms of ecosystem services. Uh, that is there, but there's much more than that, which perhaps cannot be, we cannot put a value on. You're saying there is an ethical component to it that can't be calculated. Absolutely. There is this plan to do compensatory afforestation in the northern Aravallis. So does that make uh, any uh, sense? So there is no rationale. I mean, everybody who has looked at it from an ecological perspective, it is completely bizarre. You cannot simply replace a forest that is... Uh, in the tropical zone, it's a tropical evergreen forest, which is unique by itself. And the forest in the Aravallis and the ecosystem in the Aravallis is also unique ecosystem. There's no denying that. And they're not to say that this is more important than the other. That's absolutely not the point. But one cannot compensate by saying that you cut down a forest in the tropical regions and you plant a forest. It's like saying, I, I don't know what, what is the analogy one can use. But if you lose hearing as a human being, you lose hearing. You cannot necessarily compensate it with increasing some other component. I, I, I don't even know if that's a good analogy. But it's, it's a loss forever. It, it cannot be compensated. Because it has it has a unique dimension uh, which is about the geography, about the location, about the different factors that are actually there in that place. So 
the idea that this is going to happen now a lot of people working in the field of ecological economics are also saying that the idea of net present value the idea of compensatory afforestation the idea of compensating uh, the cutting of a forest and replanting somewhere it was always problematic the i think the great nicobar case now has stretched it to its absolute absurd limits so you have 130 square kilometers of forest to be replanted somewhere in most other cases there are much smaller areas and much smaller number of trees that are at stake so here it's we've taken it to a complete absurd limit and we have to rethink this whole idea of compensating forests and compensatory afforestation and then there are other problems because uh, they have proposed a safari park in the aravallis which is a commercial project which is even legally not allowed under the compensatory afforestation guidelines of the country of india what is the chance that the project will stop at the designated limit you know 166 square kilometers in uh, great nicobar and so forth normally the what happens is this opens up possibilities for more work or more people need to access more places and so it keeps on uh, you know expanding and uh, what's the chance in your opinion that it will stop here and it won't be you know extended so absolutely i mean this is uh, certainly a very very relevant concern and uh, there is no saying where this will go once it starts off already the damage that will be caused is so phenomenal so my concern is that even if they don't do more than what they have proposed we have the damage that will be caused is is phenomenal is huge is monumental like like you were saying in the beginning now if they go beyond that then we can only expect more trouble 20% of a landmass of one isolated island is not a small area like we discussed and uh, the impact so even even if it is not a formal expansion of the project just a spillover of the people of the resources or what is happening is bound to happen you can't just restrict people who have been brought into the island and say okay you can't go to the other part of the island now they'll have access and uh, things are going to certainly going to happen there's going to be waste there's going to be water demand uh energy issues so it is certainly already very concerning and if like you're saying it goes beyond what is proposed as a next phase or a third phase or a fourth phase then we can only expect more trouble you're extremely concerned you not just you but other ecologists also about the danger to the leatherback does this pro- project mean that it will entirely destroy the nesting sites in the andaman and nicobar island it is not that all the turtle nesting sites of the leatherback will be destroyed and that is not our concern but it is well established now that galathia bay where the transshipment port will come up uh, is one of the most important nesting sites in not just the andaman and nicobar islands but probably in this part of the world so the leatherbacks do nest on other beaches including on beaches along the along great nicobar but also in little andaman that we discussed earlier and some other parts but galathia bay uh, from the records that are available has recorded the maximum number of nesting year on year for me- for a very long time and it is this beach which is actually going to be destroyed because what is going to happen is that the the bay which has a mouth opening of about 3 kilometers which the turtle is presumably using to swim into and nest on the beaches will be blocked off by a breakwater and a 3 kilometer opening will be reduced to just 300 meters the approach of the turtle will be reduced by 90% uh, and then there'll be an entire set of construction and you know ships will be coming in and out and all that so 
it's quite certain that this beach is going to be very, very badly affected, if not completely destroyed as a turtle nesting site. So that is, that is a very large concern. The National Marine Turtle Action Plan, just of about a year ago, lists Galatia Bay as, as one of the most important nesting sites. And also says that among the biggest threats to turtle nesting sites are uh, projects like port development and industrial development. And then uh, the same ministry goes ahead and clears a project in exactly that site, which it itself has acknowledged as one of the most important sites. So that's a real serious concern and it'll be quite a tragedy that happened. Now, the Lerabag is a great traveler. So, and it travels across the planet, unlike tigers and so on that have specific ranges. So, as uh, you might say, a lot of people would also ask the question, so why should we worry about the Lerabag? We don't know what benefits it brings us. So, what does it matter if another species is gone? How would you answer that question? I think it would be a very sad moment when uh, when we were to start to make that argument and for somebody who would argue that a creature a magnificent creature that has been there on this planet much before the human being came into came on this earth it's okay for that for us to lose it i have no real no real argument it would be a very sad moment because there is there is the it cannot everything cannot be evaluated in terms of what benefits we get there is a right of the creature to be there it's, a, it's an integral part of this larger system of which we are a part. It has been inhabiting this planet much before we came here. So if we are to start to evaluate everything and argue for everything based on the benefit uh, of what we get or what is to be lost if the turtle is lost, there really is no argument. That, that's not really an argument that one can ever win because there are ethical concerns. There are this whole argument today of the rights of nature. And of course, there is beyond that, uh, we don't know what impacts could be there long term in terms of life systems on the planet if all these different strands are lost. And we are seeing that with the climate change concern that is there. So I, I really would not have an argument to make, Gopal, if somebody was to say, okay, if it goes, then what's the big deal? Now we come to the Champagne. What kind of going to happen to these people when you know they're faced with lacks of outsiders? And, uh, you know, the fact that when they see the forests being cut down. So this is a you know, very, very deep concern and a very important issue. I don't think that uh, these communities will be able to cope with what's going to happen. There is evidence from uh, around the world with indigenous communities. There is evidence also of indigenous communities in these islands. Ever since the British came and also post-independence. Uh, when forests are taken away, when access to resources is taken away, when a lot of people from the outside come, there is an impact on their culture, on their lifestyles, on their access to resources. So there is no doubt that these communities are going to come off very badly. So imagine, like I was saying, today there are 250 people, the Champen, on this island. They've been living here for thousands of years. They live a particular kind of nomadic hunter-gatherer lifestyle. Uh, they travel around the island collecting their resources. Now, this project envisages the bringing in of 300,000 people over the next 30 years. So on an island where today the Champagne are 250 and the total population of the island as per the census is about 8,000 people, already they are marginalized. Now, when this 8,000 people becomes 3.5 lakh people, 
you can imagine just the sheer ratio the sheer, sheer change in the proportion of the the champion uh, individuals to the outsiders they are going to be swamped they will be completely wiped out their land will be taken over they will lose out in terms of opportunities they their way of the world and the way they understand the world is very different from ours so one can only expect the worst worst where the the indigenous communities are concerned and we also know that generally speaking our understanding our sensitivities to tribal communities to marginalized communities is not the best that we can think of and we have seen that in the andaman islands with the jarawas and other communities so to to simple answer to your question is is going to be a very bad future if these things to come up for these tribal communities there's no doubt about that now these projects are i i would say this project the port project is going to create a massive amount of pollution in the form of soil displacement you'll have thousands of cubic meters of soil being removed and uh, there will be other kinds of pollution because these are very clean ecosystems they're not used to this kind of interruption have you any idea of what might happen to the uh, ecosystem as such the quick answer to your the last part of your question is yes the, the impact is going to be huge where the marine and the coastal and the marine systems are concerned this this area is, is tremendously rich pristine and uh, very very diverse even the marine systems and not much is actually known about these systems because not much research has been done over here so it's a case both on the terrestrial uh, the terrestrial forests and certainly the marine areas of of the unknown unknowns we don't know what is available and what is there in terms of species and in terms of other things in these ecosystems and the impact uh, is going to be huge because like, exactly like you said uh, you construct such a huge port you know you're going to invest 40000 crore rupees in the construction of a port the kind of uh, dredging that will have to be done the kind of uh, where will all the dredged material be will be dumped what will then start to happen once the construction starts the material that will be brought in uh for the construction and i'm i'm just speculating all of this because we still don't know what what all it is going to take once the port is ready and the ships start to move in what's the uh, polluting pollution in terms of the oil in terms of air pollution in terms of the waste generated by these 3 lakh people who are going to be brought to this island so there is no doubt about the fact that this is going to be a huge impact on this place and i'd also just like to point you know to the to the scale of this thing the total population of the entire andaman and nicobar islands today which is about 600 islands is 4 and 1/2 lakh people officially so those many people roughly those many people are going to be brought to one island in that in, in that entire chain and uh, there are huge challenges before the islands today so port blair which is the uh, administrative headquarters of these islands this summer is citizens of port blair are getting tap water only once in 3 days as of today and that to only a few hours and that is a capital city now uh, so with just 4 and 1/2 lakh people a large number of them concentrated in and around port blair we have some serious challenges if you put the entire population equivalent in one island you can imagine what the impact will be so uh, if you just look at numbers 8000 people today Uh, if the project goes through and it works the way that they have discussed it we'll have about 3 and 1/2 lakh people officially in 30 years that's roughly 4000% increase in the population of an island of a landmass and no landmass no place is going to have the capacity 
to be able to deal with such a large influx so suddenly. 30 years is going to be a very short time for such a large influx of population. And the impacts will be on the land side and the impacts will certainly be on the coastal and the marine side like you're saying. This area is prone to earthquakes. It's what is called tectonically unstable. And extremely so because this is the Boxing Day tsunami of 2004 originated somewhere here, right? So uh, have they taken any note of what might happen if you have something like 2004 Boxing Day tsunami? I'm very glad you asked this question, Gopal, because that's one of the biggest concerns. I mean, like you rightly said, the earthquake of 26 December 2004, 9.3 on the Richter scale, which caused a gigantic tsunami. Uh, the earthquake happened just a, a few kilometers south of Great Nicobar. It was off the coast of Banda Aceh in Sumatra. And uh, this is the earthquake that caused the tsunami. And one of the most striking things that happened in the Andaman and Nicobar Islands, which, which we have not really kind of understood fully, is that the displacement that took place of the landmass. So if you look at uh, now very well established scientifically, that Great Nicobar Island saw a permanent subsidence of 15 feet the morning that earthquake happened. And a classic example of anybody you know, who is interested can look up. Look up pictures of the lighthouse of Indira Point, which is the southernmost tip of India. Look for pictures of the, of the lighthouse today and look for pictures of lighthouse, say, 20 years ago, before 2004. And you will, start, you will see that the lighthouse, which was way inland, way above the high tide line, situated inside the forest, today stands completely surrounded by water. It is evidence of the fact that not just that tsunami came, but the land subsided. The land, the land went under by about 15 feet. And I, I said in the very beginning, on an average, these islands and Great Nicobar in particular has an earthquake once a week, if not more. So uh, researchers, for example, Dr. Janki Andharia of the Tata Institute of Social Sciences, recently in a piece in the front line, has actually very eloquently argued about the concerns the, uh, that this, this whole project will face on, the, on this account. We are situated in seismic zone 5, the most seismically active zone on planet Earth. They have recorded roughly 450 earthquakes here in the last 10 years. So that's on an average one earthquake a week. Now you are constructing a huge port. You are investing 72,000 crores, which is roughly $10 billion along a coastline that sees this kind of tectonic activity. And just look at the financial investment and the risk. You have a port on a coastline that saw a permanent subsidence of 15 feet just 20 years ago, less than 20 years ago. Imagine another earthquake, imagine another displacement of whether the land goes up or down. The entire draft of your port will change, the entire design will be made irrelevant. So this is in addition to the damage that will be caused to life and other property. And this does not seem to have been accounted for in the, in the whole planning and in the whole development of this idea. And this is really scary. because This is staring you in your face. Uh, a lighthouse that is a standing example is standing completely surrounded by water today. And in spite of that, you're going ahead and doing this investment. What is the risk? Who will bear the risk? Whose losses are these going to be? Nobody seems to have thought about this. Uh, and this is very, very scary. This is inviting trouble. This is saying, come and hit me. I mean, you're just making yourself more and more and more vulnerable. And I just don't know how and why the planners and those proposing this 
are not able to see this are not able to account for what it is when there is evidence now when we have been pointing that out regularly when we have been bringing that to the attention of everybody who's willing to listen thank you dr sikh sarya thank you for joining us thank you thanks a lot gopal